Have you ever heard the saying, it's lonely at the top? I meet so many entrepreneurs who feel stressed out and worn out and ready to quit. And many times it's because they're lonely. They feel isolated. There's nobody to help hold them accountable. There, there's not a group that cares deeply about them, not just about how much money they're making or how much they're paying themselves or other people, but how are they doing with their family? How's their faith? How's their relationship with God if they're a believer? These are hard questions, and we're not people that are meant to do business alone. We're not meant to do life alone. We're meant to be in community, and that's why I'm so excited on this episode to have Mike Shero on the show. He is the CEO of C12. It is a business form that talks about this exact topic, getting in community. And so we're going to talk about what does it look like to run business as a minister? What are you allowed to do and not allowed to do if that's something that appeals to you? What is different stressors in business? Look like? What are some ways to overcome it? How do you ensure that you're not destroying your family along the way as you're building a business? Big, heavy topics some practical ideas, and we're going to link to some resources as well that Mike shares. Without any further ado, here's my interview with Mike. Hey, Mike, thanks for being on the show. Hey, my pleasure, Jay. Been looking forward to this for a long time. So I'm super excited to have you because I would say that over the last five years or so that I've been in business, one of the things that's had the biggest impact on me personally and my business has been C12, which you are the CEO of. And I'll tell you just a very quick story, people to have context, and then we'll jump into you getting to talk <laughs> since I'm interviewing you, not me. Is, uh, You're doing that's great. right. That's right. And so I was at C12. I was invited by a friend and I had gone, visited a few times, but just didn't feel like making it work. I was like, oh, do I really want to spend a month, a day, a month doing this. And I went back after a while and said, okay, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to make this work. And the chairman of the group asked me to tell a little bit about myself to the group to kind of introduce myself. So naturally, I start talking about the business, only the business, and how long we've been in business and what we do and all these kind of things. And he's, he stopped me and goes, that's great, but what about your family? And how's your faith? And I was like, I knew C12 was like a Christian business leaders form, but it caught me off guard to have somebody ask those questions. And I thought to myself, wow, they really do believe in kind of this trifecta of faith, family, finance, and it's not just about business growth. And I was hooked from that point. The content's great. The group's great. Um, that's my commercial for C12 at the beginning. But I'd love to dig in with you. You started as a chair at C12. So that's tell people a little a member. Okay. So you started as a member. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that journey from member to CEO. Yeah. So similarly, a buddy of mine was running a construction company and we'd done some leadership. We got some conferences together. We knew each other and C12 was starting in my city. I'd never heard of it. And he said, Hey Mike, I'm doing this group. I think it'd be great for you. I didn't need one more group. I was tapped out on social things. I had small group. I was like, man, I've got small group at church. I've got this or that. I think I'm good. And he said, man, you love Jesus, you love business. And what he's, we're sitting in a coffee shop. He drew out a napkin for me, a Venn diagram. and drew these three little circles. And he said, Mike, do you feel the tension? He's like, I think you do of, I mean, to actually honor God in the way you run a company to do work is worship. Like, what does mm -hmm. that actually mean beyond, you know, I live in the South right now where some people confuse it, just saying, God bless you and putting fish symbols up. But does God really care about the whole business? And then 
Mike, have you ever thought about business as ministry and are you really making a difference for eternity in business more than just giving money away? And I say, yeah, I care about those two questions deeply. He said, and the third one, and you can hit it, he's like, and then a life in order. Because it's so easy when you're trying to build a business and change the world and advance the kingdom of God and all that cool stuff can actually be a bit of a cocaine for ex- excess and, and losing your soul in the process. And he said, and then having the people who could actually hold you accountable on who you are, how you are as a father, a son, as a brother, as a husband, as have the fruit of the spirit in your life. And I was like, yeah, man, I live that tension all day. Those are the spinning plates. And he's, I feel like it's a place to bring all those three together and actually deal with all three in the same context with people who get it enough to have the right to help you or challenge you on it. And I went, I still didn't believe it, but I was like, okay, that's really interesting. You're here reading my mail. So I joined in 2010 because of that. Yeah. It just, and then it frustrated me. Honestly, I was very involved in my local church. Still am. Was in a great small groups. I've been leading small groups in my home for years. I thought I was actually a pretty darn good small group leader. And I was watching in within three months, people in this forum who didn't go to church together, didn't have the same personality, didn't, weren't all who were otherwise going to maybe get a hangout. And he has watching them be transformed and be transparent and deal with real issues with just depth of vulnerability that I wasn't seeing in my marriage group. And I was like, darn it. Like, how does this work? So that's what sucked me in. So I did that for a couple of years. And then my chair was like, man, you really like this stuff. I think you're like, I think you, you should think about becoming a chair with me. And I said, no way, Jose. He said, the Christian thing, would you pray about it? And I was like, yeah, I'll pray about it and tell you no next week. He's like, okay. So I couldn't say no the next week. So went to process. And so it became a chair and really end of 11, beginning of 2012. And then about early 2016, the parent company was based in the East Coast, was going through a succession process. And their the second CEO they'd had was retiring after 10, 12 years. And they, I knew they were going to open up to members and chairs to apply. And I knew I was like the least qualified, youngest, least pedigreed person that they'd have, but they'd at least interview me. And so I thought I'd apply, get in front of the board and just share some passions I had for what this thing could do and challenge their vision. And the, the classic scenario, careful what you suggest in case someone says, great, go do those things. So I wrote them like 19 points of things I thought they should change, but in the business over the next couple of years and three months later, they're saying, great, here's your list. Go do the things you said. So, well, I've really enjoyed watching C12 grow and change over the years. I'd heard about it years ago and just nobody made a compelling enough reason for me to actually show up for the same reason as you originally. Like I had young kids. Yeah. I don't do breakfast meetings. I don't do dinner stuff unless I absolutely have to. I got five kids and I have a very, I'm more and more realizing how limited my time is because my oldest turns in in a couple Mm. of weeks. And so I'm very careful with things that I accept that are in addition to all the other responsibilities. But C20, the group, the camaraderie, the transparency, the accountability. Because I think one of the things I struggled with for a long time was I had to hold, I had the opportunity to hold many people accountable. And I had very few people, if anyone, who would look at me and go, why are you doing that? That's a dumb idea. Or really ask challenging questions about 
like I see you doing all these things for work, but how do, how does that relate? You 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 got faith written up on the wall behind you as a core value, but what what does that actually look like on a day to day basis? So I'd love to talk about this idea that C twelve talks about of business as a ministry. I've been fortunate lately. Earlier this year, I had an opportunity to take a second role because I needed a second job, apparently, <laughs> in ministry, in, in vocational ministry, working for a large church to help with communications and marketing. And I've turned over a lot of the work here at the agency to the team, which has been awesome. And what I hear a lot in ministry, like in vocational ministry as well, Jay, you don't understand, like, this is ministry, not business. I'm like, no, business is a ministry too. And so it's been an educating process, both inside of ministry and outside. But yeah. tell me from your perspective, what do you all mean when you talk about business as a ministry? It's one of the most disruptive things. Again, I give credit to Buck Jacobs for, I think I found C12 30 years ago for really being a pioneer in this language because I've been pretty well exposed to business as mission. So if you think about like overseas countries, you go, you run a business as a means of taking the gospel and doing ministry in another place. And then we're certainly very familiar with businesses getting to fund ministry and maybe even businesses have some ministry stuff happen at them. You know, about 700 of our members have chaplaincy or they'll do Bible studies and that's great. But the whole business as a ministry is really this like collision of realizing that I don't think your nonprofit status or your tax status changes the way God views stewardship. And if we think about stewardship being more than money, then it's like God cares about what we're doing, how we're doing it, and why we're doing it. And if our identity, and let me back up a little bit. The reason I even was open to the C12 conversation in 2010 is because in 2004, I found myself in Chicago working for a big company, having success, and on a Friday night, just had like a brief midlife crisis kind of sensation where it's just like, where am I doing? Where am I going? Do I really want to make widgets the rest of my life? Do I want to just keep winning and getting emails and accolades for things that don't matter? And so I was actually asking God, man, do I need to go work for a local church? Do I need to go work for a nonprofit? Do I need to be freed up? And I remember writing out all these identity things. I'm called to be a disciple making disciple. I'm called to be an ambassador for Christ. I'm called to proclaim your gospel. And I'm working in this Fortune 50 company making widgets. Is that the problem? And I really feel like God met me at my desk that night with this question of, Mike, does your, does your vocation, the logo on your shirt, define your identity? Or does your identity transform your vocation? And it was like this blessed spot. You're like, uh, okay, the answer is Jesus, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> yes, no, but I don't know how. And then when I confessed that, I was like, a, darn it, I don't know how to be who you say I'm supposed to be in this place. And he went, why don't you start asking me that question? Instead of changing your context, ask me to change your understanding. And I began realizing, I think God actually cares about how we do accounting, how we do finance, how we do hiring, how we do marketing. I think all those things have beauty and goodness and potential. And I think there's a need for redemption in them. Mm. And so businesses, ministries is a idea that whether you are running a church, a food bank, a manufacturing operation or a digital design marketing firm, we're accountable as stewards and God cares about how we do all those things, why we do all those things. And if they're done in him, for him and by him, they actually become the context of ministry 
not the barrier to ministry. And that just opens up. It's like Alice in Wonderland, you fall down a rabbit hole and it's kind of, okay, whoa, I got to kind of rethink everything. And I went to a Christian college and studied business and I didn't get any of that perspective. Mm. Yeah. The two things that stood out about what you just said when you talked about this question of does the logo on my shirt represent my identity? I think this is a core question for many entrepreneurs. I was reading the book, A Faith-Driven Entrepreneur, yeah. and in there, one of the things that shocked me the most was they had a section where they talked about stats on mental health amongst entrepreneurs, and it was terrifying. It was like yeah. the number, they said, entrepreneurs are two times more likely to be depressed, two times more likely to have suicidal thoughts, more likely to get divorced, more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric problems, more likely to be addicted to substances. And I thought to myself, why is that? And I think that the answer is exactly what you're saying, which is, and I've been, I started my business when I was a kid. So like it has certainly been part of my identity and continues mm -hmm. to be sometimes. And I have to be really careful about that. And I think that's the core of it is most businesses don't make it to 10 years yep. statistically. And so if that's true, it means most businesses fail. And if that's true, and the entrepreneur is the one that started it, are they personally a failure as a result of that? And if you feel like that, you start to feel hopeless, you start to feel hopeless, you end up depressed, and all those other things collide. And I think as a Christian, the question becomes, we're told where our identity is or should be in, who it is in. It's not in a thing, it's in a person. But what does that look like day to day? Like, that's a real struggle for people. Yeah, you know, I've come to really appreciate more and more what Jesus described the kingdom of God as this narrow path concept. In the, mm -hmm. And I like to riff off that and say, okay, there's ditches on both sides. And when I see Christians in business, I typically, I oftentimes see there be propensity towards one of two extremes that are both missing it. One is where you got the Christian becoming an excuse for running a poor business obnoxiousness about your faith. So maybe you got a cross or symbol or you, man, you throw the Jesus card around, but you don't really run a great company and it's not pay people great. Your quality is not great, but it's baptized because of your symbols. And we've seen that where Christianity becomes a, a license for lower excellence rather than a higher excellence. I think we're doing things under Christ. It would raise the bar, not lower the bar. But I got burned by that. So sometimes, frankly, People are afraid to come out as a Christian in business because they don't want people to have bad brand association. So that's one ditch where you let go of the wheel. But the other can be just as destructive, and I see it too, is, man, if you are trying to run a business now for Jesus, oh my goodness, now it's not just for success or vainglory, all the other shadow missions. Now it's for Jesus and it's for kingdom. And man, that can become license for all sorts of just wreck your life kind of pursuits. And one of the, my strong convictions, I'm all for radical generosity. I don't think God, newsflash, I think God is loaded and I don't think God needs your money, Jay, or my money. I don't think he's up there wringing his hands, but man, I hope Jay hits his sales goal next month because I get <laughs> maybe a tithe on that, man, what I can do with that money. God owns everything. Yeah. He needs nothing. He invites us to participate with him. And when I let the seductive lie, like I'm doing this for the kingdom, God, I'm God's consultant, God's banker, God's whatever, man, I think you end up 
just like Jesus said, there's when people come to him and say, Lord, he's like, I never knew you. Like, you're so busy making me money, apparently, that you didn't have time to know me. And man, that narrow path of business that's excellent and God-honoring and glorifying without losing your soul, that's where it's at. That's right. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I, now that I've been physically both in vocational ministry at church this year and running a business, kind of two, got a foot in both worlds. It's been interesting because people do the same thing in like in vocational ministry. They will, they will act in a way, maybe they don't believe that, they don't say that they believe this, but they act in a way as if they don't do certain things, then people won't be saved. And I'm like, you don't even believe that. Like, you don't believe yeah. that. Yeah. You say yeah. that you believe that God is completely in control and all these things, and yet you're acting as if he's not. And the truth is, you talked a lot about this this word stewardship. And man, it has that, that word has had so much impact on me over the years. A funny story on this. My, years ago, we were studying stewardship. My kids were much younger. And my, one of my, my second son, I think he was about, I don't know, six or seven at this point. And I walk out in the garage and he's sitting on top of my car. And I said, Oliver, get off my car. And he said, it's not your car. It's God's car. <laughs> and I said, you're right. It is okay. God's car. Get off God's car. Yes. <laughs> but this, but I think that there's something to that when you think about all things belong to God. Like it is his, the business is his. And so as a steward of that, how will I care for it? And I think, I think you're exactly right. I used to have a pastor that say people fall off one side of the cliff or the other. The ditch is probably the better example because it's like walking down a road. Yeah. And it is easy. I think I've probably fallen into both ditches over the years. You stay in business long enough, you oh, tend yeah. to overswing the pendulum. I swing it at any given day sometimes. There's two, I know one of the themes you like to talk about is, is family and this idea of a total success. I was speaking at Texas A&M University once for a bunch of student business students talking about vocation and career and how to, we use business as ministry. I also riff off that and say careers, ministry, vocation as ministry, because I don't think it's limited just to CEOs and entrepreneurs, but challenging that young accountant or that young marketing major, like how do you go build your career as ministry? And this young lady walked up, she was a finance major and she said, Hey, I just want to thank you. C12 has changed my life. And I said, I think you may have us confused because we don't, like we're not really programmed for college kids. She's like, no, it changed my life because my dad got involved. Wow. And she said something that was haunting and it made me think back to one of the most defining moments for me in C12. But she said, I grew up in a Christian home. Dad was a great, great guy. Everyone knew he was very generous, very philanthropic. He ran a big business. And my family, my sisters and I always knew that our dad was trying to change the world and he was stressed out trying to change the world. We never felt, we never thought our mom or us were part of the world he was trying to change though. I always wish we could have been in, we were in the scene that he was viewing the world in. In fact, he was pretty angry and miserable at home because he was so busy trying to save the world for God. And kind of like you and me, he got drawn to a meeting one day where someone held up the mirror and said, hey, that's great, cool. You got a bunch of zeros after your revenue line there and you got a bunch of employees and a bunch of giving. So let's just check some of their boxes. Like, how's your soul? How's your walk with God? How's the fruit of the spirit in your life? How's your family? How's your kids? And he's, and she said, he suddenly began to put us in that world and realize like, man, Jesus wants to redeem the whole world. And we're not just Christian doings for him. And it made her go from hating business to actually being excited about spending her career in business 
to view as a force to help set people free. Um, Man, that's something. But it's like, how many other Christian, how many other kids would say the same thing? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to change the world. I'm just not sure if I'm in it. Yeah, I had a guy one time, he said, one of the biggest mistakes you can make in business is to build this incredible thing, go so far down this path, and then turn around and look and realize that you left the most important people behind. And man, for me, that's like, my my, my kids are 10 to 17 right now. And like, I, I am deeply aware that these years are absolutely memorable and pivotal, yep. and I don't get them back, and I get yep. one chance. And and I don't care if I made $50 million. If my kids don't know me as a dad that loves them and cares about them, and hopefully is some kind of an example, just a, a tiny representation of what God as, a, as the perfect father is, I'm missing the mark for me. And, and yet, years ago, I remember Claire, my wife, said to me one time, she's like, you make all these goals and plans for business. Every year, you, you could tell me what your 10-year objective is and your three-year picture, and you, can, you, you know what your goals are this year, and you've got quarterly rocks and objectives, and you know if you hit them or not, you know what your scorecard is, and you know what your core values are, and why don't you do that for our family? And I was like, that's a great question. And so now we take more time together to go, hey, what are our goals for this year as a family? How much time do we, do, where do we want to go? What do we want to do? What does that look like? How are we going to help other people? And that's been so life-giving for us, more so than any money ever would. Yeah, it was so humbling to me one day when I'm a strategic planning nut. I love mission, vision, values, and goals. And we, a bunch of us in C12 were visiting and this one spouse made a comment. She said, man, you guys have really helped my husband get super strategic in stewarding the business. And he's got plans and goals and people and process. And she said, I wish he thought of himself as president of our family enterprise as much as he did this construction company. And what would, does he think that would, I'm sure you all do a better job. And we're all like, oh my gosh, like I don't join a board of a nonprofit without going, hey, what's the mission? What's the vision? What's the value? What's the goals? How are we doing towards that? So then I came home and was like, hey, honey, we're going to do mission, vision, values, and strategy. And I'm going to, we're going to put a plan together. <laughs> She's like, you know, the CEO here, that looks a little different. <laughs> it's, like, oh, it's a little different than <laughs> with your employees. So that took a while. That's right. So I, I was journeying with some friends as young dads. And I, I found a little analogy or a little diagram that was really convicting to me that you just put your finger in. I didn't plan on sharing this way, but if you're to draw a T-chart and in the first left column, put the word stress. And if I was to ask you, and I've tested this with hundreds of CEOs now, I'll go, hey, what are the things that are stressing you out? And by stress, I mean, it's consuming time and energy. Like the hamster wheel is spinning, whether you actually are manifesting anxiety or it's just eating your lunch right now. What are those things? And everyone names their specific things, but I found the categories are all the same. There's health issues, money issues, future, the economy, the state of the world, figuring out what I got to do next in the business, finding people, lawsuits, cancers, like the, the details can be varied, but there's really just six or seven categories that generally eat our lunch. And then I go, yeah, man, and we've all got them. Then I go, okay, right column, put the word guilt at the top. 
and be like guilt. I'm like, hey, if Jesus was to show up tomorrow and do, hey, spot check, pop quiz, pre preview the Bema seat, let's put a little <laughs> flashlight on your life, walk me through everything. Where do you think you'd get demerits? Where do you think you'd get dinged in a Jesus audit? Be like, he's probably gonna not like there and they, you want to clean things up before he showed up. And the categories were all the same. So I got, man, he probably, I've not spent a lot of time with him, quite non-existent or dis spiritual disciplines. My relationship with God is weak. Man, my marriage is okay, but I'm probably not loving or respecting my spouse, cherishing them the way I should. Man, I got some kids at key stages. I'm really trying to get through this busy time so I can go back and be there for them. And then something in the area of like not being what I call an ambassador for Christ. Like I'm not loving my neighbors. I'm not telling people Jesus. I'm not giving them. Well, there's things there that they just know I'm going to get to it. And after they share those things, they always say, but once I get done with this, once I figure out these problems over here in the stress column, I'm going to really double down on the guilt column. And as I, and I've, and that's me. I've done that. Do that. And it's that I went, you know what's ironic? Is oftentimes when we're in that mode, we are praying to God for mercy and grace to protect our family, hold things together in that guilt column. When the gospel would say God is sovereign over the whole stress column, like he's actually in charge of and has ultimate authority over all those things. I've got duties, but I don't have power to fix cancer, find people control the economy, rescue the world. God does. And the things in the guilt column are the only things he's uniquely assigned me to do and said, you love your wife as I love the mm -hmm. church. You be a father, you be my son. And I'm essentially doing cosmic insubordination, praying, God, would you do my job? Because I don't actually trust you. So I'm going to sacrifice that job to go do your job. And once I do your job for you, then we can swap roles again. And I don't think God meets us there. I think he kind of watches that and he goes, no, nothing. Walk with me. That's so interesting because when you think about what the Bible actually says about these things, like it says, do not worry about tomorrow for today has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, in this world, you will face tribulation, but fear not, I've overcome the world. And when he is asked, what are the two greatest commandments? It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And so to your point, what are we told to do? We're told to love God and to love people. What does that look like? We probably could write a whole list of all kinds of things that it looks like practically. But all those other things, many of which we don't actually have control over, especially, man, one of the best things I did years ago was turn off the news. It doesn't mean I'm totally unaware of what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. Just not watching it all day and having somebody else inject their opinion about what's happening on top of it. Because I found myself, this was probably 2009-ish, I was in like an emotional, I'm a bit of an emotional person anyway, but I was, was not doing well. I was not healthy mentally. And it was because I was so worried and so anxious, which I'm told not to be anxious, but it's easy to be told not to be anxious, different to actually not be anxious. I was so anxious about things in the world that I had zero control over and no, I couldn't do anything about. And as a result, because I worried about those things, I ignored, to your point, all the things around me that I could actually control. That's one of the things I love about C12 is for people that have never been to a group before, one of the first things you do is you fill out a life and leadership balance wheel. And it's just a circular wheel that goes from zero in the middle to 10 on the outside. And it has all these categories, 
marriage, family, personal finance, biblical community, fun and recreation, on and on. And there was a guy in our group one time who had ranked his marriage pretty low, like a two, really low, for a couple of months in a row. And this is another thing I appreciate about the accountability of the, <laughs> the chair in our group. Just looks at him. We're all a real close group. And he's like, you know whose fault that is, right? <laughs> and he's, yeah, it's mine. And he's like, all right, what are you going to do about it, man? You keep putting it as a two, but what are you actually doing to make it not be a two anymore? And that's, that's why I love the accountability of, of what C12 brings on a level beyond just, are you profitable this month? Yeah. The guy found C12 coined the phrase, priorities are what you do. Everything else is just talk. And we tend to talk about a lot of things, but you go back and look at our calendars or our checkbooks and you see what our actual priorities are. And like you said earlier, most of us would answer the Bible quiz correctly. I'm like, do you believe God is sovereign, all powerful? Yeah, yeah. Do you believe? Yeah. But then I, what I, part of what I love in C12 is I believe business and career is the gymnasium of your faith. And I think business is ministry is sometimes as much about it being a discipleship dojo as it is it being a platform for impact. Because if I actually wrestle through how to navigate lawsuits and financial problems and IT meltdowns and market decisions, each one of those is actually a theology, like practical walking with Jesus question. It comes down to, I believe God's word is true or not. What do, do I actually believe the will of the father is? What Every one of those is actually an invitation to a kingdom life moment. And the reality is it's pretty easy to be a Christian on Sunday and Wednesday night and to have Bible answers in classes. It's a wholesale different deal to actually try to trust Jesus, walk with Jesus and do life with Jesus on a Thursday afternoon at two o'clock. That's, that, that's when you find out your actual spiritual muscle. Yeah. A while back, somebody gave me a great tool that relates to that. Just a question. And it is simply if you really believe what you say you believe, what would you do? If you really believe what you say you believe about God and who he is and what he says, how would you run your business? How would you treat your family? How would you treat your neighbor? What are you going to think and what are you going to do? What's your next action? Because I think people get caught up in what am I going to do next? And I would say, number one, what, what would God have you do? And people are like, well, I don't know what God's will is. Well, it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what it is. <laughs> and the, another thing somebody set me free with as it relates to God's will in just making big decisions like this was they said, one of the things you need to remember is you're not going to thwart the will of God. Like he's God. He's going to, his will be done. Pray for that, but it will be done because he's all powerful. And so that's very freeing to me in business to think, I'm sure I can make mistakes. Hopefully I'll learn from those things and grow. But God is in control. When you think about biggest issues, you're around a ton of business leaders. You engage with a lot of them. You're connected with many of them. You're, do, you're doing a big event in May in Denver, largest gathering of Christian CEOs and business owners out in Denver. Which I'm guessing along the way you see a lot of different issues that people run into. What are some common threads? What are the things that you're seeing that people are struggling with right now that they're worried about or mistakes that they're making that might be worth our listeners thinking through. Well, tons. The world's full of issues. We're full of issues. Some are seasonal, some are perennial. I think 
the general deficit that I see be the upstream issue that creates a lot of the tactical fray for folks is most of us really don't know what it's like to have an intimate relationship with God and actually know what God wants. So I think one of the big areas of anxiety underlying for most Christians and businesses is even this idea that it's like a target that you don't even know what it looks like. You're trying to, if you're an archer, you're like, I can't even see the bullseye, so I'm going to fire the arrow and I hope I hit something because I actually don't know what God wants. And so lack of intimacy with God in a practical way. So we do a lot of stuff around how to equip a leader to have daily conversations with God that about the business, about if you had a major funder, a, you know, an investor who put 50 million bucks in your business, you'd be meeting with that investor regularly to give them updates on their business and seek their counsel. And I think God's kind of a loaded investor. I think we don't have good models for what matters in business. And so I think paradigms, we use the five-point alignment matrix. We use the flourishing model, tri-value. There's a bunch of tools we use just to give frameworks for how you look at the business. And then back to the stress and guilt T-chart is, man, you got the the economy having whatever kind of seizure it's having right now. It's the weirdest recession, non-recession, about to be recession. Are we in a recession? What is this kind of environment? And you can get so fixated on that that you neglect what's what matters right now. Or you can get so isolated in your own head that you're not embracing wise counsel and kind of circumspection on pieces. And so where I see people get burned is when they get just frenetically chasing, do the same thing over again, and are not open to being challenged on things. I think the uh, mistaking, what is God really calling you for? Sometimes God tells you to stop and wait. Sometimes he tells you to build something because he actually, God actually knows what's happening next year. No, the headlines do. No, the news stations do. God actually does. And so sometimes God's wisdom seems strange today until tomorrow comes. You're like, oh, that's why you said to do that. And so I, I see folks right now getting stressed out on, on how do you, and then in our social era, like how do you walk out your faith openly when there's so many questions right now around organized religion and institutional church and values and feel like the whole country's kind of having a, question mark of what's truth. And so Christians sometimes try to get into bunker mode of, man, how do I survive this? How do I grab my, grab your wife, grab your kids, hide them. Or do you go, Hey, this is a moment God's called us to. This is the exact place he's called us to, to engage culture. And I think business is the frontier for engaging and shaping culture. And we need to lean into those fires, not run away from them. But I think the knowing how to do that, the anxiety of that just creates a lot of fear. So I think a lot of people live in fear and frustration. So one of the things that relates to that is that I'm interested in, I know I've heard from business owners before who are scared about talking about their faith openly in business. Yeah. And I think it's for two reasons. One, there's there are legit legal questions of what am I allowed to say? What am I allowed yeah. to do? Can I run a Bible study at the office? One of the things that helped the last time I went to the current event that y'all did was there was a group there. I can't remember their name now, but they're a legal group that helps leaders. Oh, Alliance Defending Freedom. Yeah, Alliance Defending Freedom. And they just answered tons of questions to set me free a little bit to go, okay, these are the things I'm allowed to do. These are the things I should just, yeah, I can pray for my team. I just need to ask, like, hey, is it okay if I pray for y'all? And then they're going to all say yes, and then I do. And what kind of 
counsel or advice do y'all give people who are nervous about being open about their faith because they're worried they're going to get in trouble with the yeah, Lord? Yeah, there's, there's so much ignorance around what you can and can't do that just robs people to rent joy. Man, there's, if you're listening to this podcast, you got, that's you, but we've got so many free resources I'll just give you. Yeah, ADF, Alliance Fitting Freedom is a great organization. We got checklists and resources and employer guides, but essentially, man, we live in a weird country that's unusual in history, but you can, you, we are free to be us. The reality is the law basically says you're free to be you and I'm free to be me. We just can't stop each other from getting to be me. You can't force your faith, but neither are you required to deny your faith. So we've actually got tons of liberty. In fact, the weird part is I was just talking with the EOC commissioners about the summer. The law actually favors the more outspoken and consistent you are mm. in your faith, the safer you are. It's actually more dangerous to be a secret agent for Jesus. We're just neutral and you periodically do a little jujitsu jab with some Jesus here and there. That's actually what will get you in trouble as an employer. Being consistently and authentically Christian is actually one of the safest things to do. Now you just got to make sure you guys can cross your T's on workplace HR stuff. But I also think the other big issue, like my wife challenged me, so do you really want to have a C12 sticker on your car? If you drive like that, like, you know, watch how you drive on the highway. I think the other part is just the accountability because if you're going to come out as a Christian, you better be ready to both be a proclaimer of Jesus and a repenter who needs Jesus because the reality is you're going to be imperfect. Have you ever bought a buck knife? Yes. Okay. If you buy a buck knife and you get the warranty card, if you pull the warranty on the backside of it, the buck family talks about their family being Christians. And yep. I love one of the things they say is they say, gosh, we believe our work, paraphrasing, they say our work must honor God. If we ever fail, if we ever miss the mark, that's because we're human. And we make mistakes and please confront us. We want to make it right because we, we want to represent God well. But I think that's the other liability is just realize Christian does not make you immune or above the law. And she means you're going to be probably repenting a lot and having to point back to Jesus and your need for him. Yeah. And it changes the, changes the way that you treat people, changes the way that you make decisions in some areas. Side note on the buck knife thing. What's cool about them too is their logo is also an anvil. And so is ours. So that's kind of fun. But the way that you treat people, I always say in our culture, one of the things that's true of us is that we err on the side of grace. Because to, to someone who's been given much grace, much is required of them to give, I believe. And when I think about the faith conversation at work, I'm not, I don't require people to be a Christian to work here. I don't require them to go to the same church that I do or even believe the same things that I do. But it's very open, like publicly. I mean, literally, faith, this is our core values wall. It's drawn up in the main area of our office and that's behind me. And it's people go, well, what does that mean? What do you mean by faith? What does that look like? And I'm like, it means we treat others the way we'd want to be treated. It means that we love and care for each other. It means that all things are based in some truth and ours, like I, our stated, is that it it's based in faith in God. And so if somebody's not comfortable with that, they know it from the very beginning. Like they're signing up for it. And I yeah, tell them they don't exactly. have to believe it. But I'm, I'll definitely put some links in the podcast notes for everybody who's interested in some of these resources that Mike's talking about. There's a bunch of stuff on the C12 site, but even 
the Alliance of Defending Freedom links, all that stuff. I'll get some links and we'll put those in the notes and send them out in an email. It'll be helpful for folks. One of the things that you mentioned briefly there was the five-point alignment matrix. For those who haven't seen it, we can put a link to that as well. But essentially at the core is mission, vision, and values. And then surrounding that is ministry, operations management, organizational development, financial management, and revenue generation. I think that most businesses know they need four of those five, but they struggle to figure out how does ministry practically fit into the business? What does that look like? So I'd love for you to give folks just a couple of examples of folks that yep. you know or have heard of. What does that look like as a as part of that alignment matrix? I'm setting goals. I'm going, hey, I got ministry goals for my business. What are some examples of those? Oh, man. So a great framework to kind of think through that you could begin to drop some ideas I'll share into boxes. That would be if you were to think about the constituents, you've got, you've got employees and they've got families and you've got customers and you've got vendors and you've got suppliers and you've got your industry. If you're just going to make those be like vertical rows in your mind or horizontal rows, sorry, in your mind, and then think about vertically, okay, what are their needs and ways I can show the love of Jesus to them physically? They got physical needs, whether it's financial health, things like that, emotional needs. And then obviously spiritual needs. And we'd like to have this kind of a caring matrix of what are the ways I have an opportunity? What, hey, what does my mission feel? So the average small business owner is dealing with 5,000 people a year between your employees, customers, applicants, family members, customers. Like you, you have a large congregation of predominantly unchurched people. And how do you get to show the love of Jesus to them? And so we like to look at how do you share the gospel with them? How do you make disciples? And how do you just love people in the name of Christ? And so about 32% of our companies are going to have workplace chaplaincy. That's actually hiring a third-party company to be available 24-7 with complete confidentiality to care for your people, meet with them, pray with them, counsel them on life issues, stress issues. It's wild. And it's a great employee benefit. we got other folks who are going to do, they're going to have prayer meetings and chances for people to grow at work. They're going to engage in groups like Right Now Media and actually have a Christian library that's got leadership courses, but also it's got great faith courses available for them. Or they're going to find ways to uniquely serve customers. We've got folks who have a follow-up after a commercial sale, being on a letter from the owner with a gospel, a private labeled Gospel of John by the Pocket Testament League and sending those folks saying, hey, here's the reason for the hope I have. If you if you buy a boat, Regal Marine boats down in Florida or regular Marine, you can find a devotional in the glove box and a memo from the owner. And the cool thing is our average, these, we serve about 2,200 and something unique companies in the U.S., hundreds more internationally. And then some of those have got key players and such, about 3,500 people right now. The average small business we serve in that whole five to $100 million range actually sees four to six times as many people come to Christ per capita than a local church does. Tons of people disciple and tons of ministry happening to their businesses. By beginning to say, what's my role? Just like I'm responsible for financial performance and quality and employee engagement, how to make sure people are loved and cared for. And that is frankly usually a whole new arena for folks and it can be overwhelming. And to always say the cool thing is just start small, start with one thing and just kind of let it snowball. But I think if we go back to the whole stewardship question, which can sound churchy, but if you ask the question, God owns everything, what would be your pitch to God about why he'd be excited growing your business? Hmm. So if you're a, if he's the ultimate holding company, executive chairman, 
and he's renewing your contract as CEO for one of his assets. In fact, you're asking for some capital to grow the thing and you're asking for some connections to make it successful next year. What about the way it is demonstrating his kingdom would excite his heart to be like, absolutely, let's double down on that business. And I think that ministry component in business just is a whole wild frontier. It creates so much, I think it creates so much purpose too. It's not just about making widgets to your point. Right. It's about and being involved in the greatest work that there is. It was interesting for me, such an interesting season of life. I turned 40 this year, went through the Halftime by Bob Buford book and start mm-hmm. thinking about what's next. I started business really young, so I feel like I'm already like 50 actually. And, and out of nowhere, not out of nowhere, but by the providence of God, I had this opportunity to help with a pretty large role with a large church. But there was something inside of me that just said, man, you're not supposed to leave the business yet. It's not, I just knew that it wasn't what I was supposed to do. I also really thought I was supposed to do this role, so I was very conflicted. Yep. And the pastor who was pretty much recruiting me said, this is when he really got me. He said, I didn't tell you you had to quit the business. Yep. And I was like, man. And But to your point, the thing that, that has been so resonating to me is I know for a fact that when I have my CEO hat on versus my church employee hat on, I just have access to different rooms than I do otherwise. And I'm able to have conversations with people who don't go to church. They're not going to walk in the doors. Like all the teams at the church are doing great work, but they can only serve the people that they can serve. I have access in the CEO world to many other people. And I just think, man, what an opportunity. And I don't want to waste that. That's one of the reasons I love the mission behind C12. A A lot of folks probably been in other groups or seen other groups similar to C12. I and mean, there's like Vistage and BNI and all kind of different things, all mm-hmm. different approaches to how things are done. But this ministry component and the focus on it's really interesting. One of the things I struggled with when I first joined a C12, this is my own transparency moment, was I felt like... Confess, confess. Yeah, yeah. I felt publicly on a podcast. I felt like some of the guys in the group over-spiritualized things. That's how I would mm. state it. Sure. Where I'm like, do we really need to ask God about that? I don't know. It's just math. It's dollars and cents. It's this and this. And that's coming from somebody who's been a believer their whole life. But it was challenging to me because afterwards, after I had that internal moment in my head, I started to think, are they asking God for too many things or am I asking him for too little? Am I going, hey, God, don't worry about this stuff over here. I've got this. It's fine. I just need your help with these things over here. And that was a very revealing moment for me, for sure. Yeah, I remember. I think it's, there's a book called With by Sky Jathani that talks about four flawed ways we relate to God. And they're all partially biblical, but they're also all still secret, subversively me-centric. And one is that you do life for God. Like I'm, I serve God, I give God money, I give God time. I'm like I'm a good giver. But that actually still has me being the center character and so it obligates God to love me or be kind to me because I've been so good. And the second is life from God where you're asking God for sales and provision. And here's my God's good hashtag blessed because I got everything I wanted. But that still makes me the center. And then God's questionably good if I don't get what I want. Then there's life above God. We're just looking for good biblical principles to make your have your best life now. And man, God's helped me be effective at getting what I want, which mm-hmm. still is a very me-centered life. 
And then you can flip the somber kind of life under God, where it's like, obey God, do not sin unless he smite thee, which still is behave so you don't lose your toys, so you can still have your cake and eat it too, versus the invitation to abide, to do life with God. And I think, I think we sometimes just ask the wrong questions. I think God would ask bigger questions of us than we are asking. Yeah. But he used to ask, like our coworker said, if God answered all your prayers the last week, how many lives would be changed and would the world be a better place or would he just be more comfortable? And if you were to get everything you asked for right now, would it be a heaven without Jesus in it and actually missing kingdom? Like what if God actually wants you to ask bigger questions in your business than you ask? Yeah, I think about this idea of one translation of Hebrews 4.16 says, so let us come boldly to the throne of a gracious God. And I think, am I approaching the throne boldly with mm -hmm. my prayers and to that question? Um, gosh, we're running out of time, which is a good problem to have. Oh, yeah, yeah. It means I've enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully you have too. Hopefully people are listening. More importantly, have. I love to, to start to land the plane with this question. We talked a little bit about it. We've gone back and forth on it, but it's around the topic of work-life balance. Yeah. Everybody, it means something different to everybody. Two-part question. Number one, what does work-life balance even mean to you? Number two, how has it changed and what have you learned through different seasons of life? So what does it even mean to you? How has it changed through different seasons of life? So I've come to believe I think work-life balance can be a trap phrase if you're looking for a, what's the perfect regimen recipe that will then solve that. And I, if I was a ripoff of Andy Stanley had a great leadership talk, you can go look on YouTube called The Upside of Tension. He used the phrase, is it a tension to manage or a problem to solve? If it's a problem to solve, like a leaky sink, you expect to find it, plug it, done, move on. If it's sales versus operations, quality versus quantity, price, then that's something you're always doing a little dance on with. And the reality is I'm having to constantly recalibrate work life for me as my kids in different ages, health conditions, business scenarios. And so I think it's a tension to manage that requires a few things for me. A, Realizing that I'm not a success if I do it, if I'm having to exchange the things that are of eternal significance. And so there's not a, a season if I just win in business, but lose in my marriage or my parenting or my personal health, that's doing it wrong. So there's the statement we like to say, you always have all you need to do, all that God requires of you, the way God requires of you. And so I believe God uses constraints. I've had to really wrestle with the last 10 years, really embracing biblical Sabbath. There's a, a great book, Take the Day Off by Robert Morris, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, a bunch of different books have come out. I really take the day off, but wrestling with, if I believe God is sovereign, then God's way for me is never the comp compromise of God's ways. And how do I put big rocks in? They're going to make sure that, yeah, sometimes Monday and Tuesday looks different. Sometimes you got to work late one night. Sometimes you got to, things are sometimes not cookie cutter clean. But how do you course correct back to a path that is about thriving in all the things that matter to God? So part of it, I'm a C12 member now, but I've been a dues paying member the last six years because I need that accountability. I need the group to help me go, hey, it doesn't matter if I'm crushing it in C12 lands. Like, how am I as a dad to two girls and how am I doing with Jackie? And I'm 
my family and I need to revisit our core values and our family mission measures and our strategic plan and embrace the tension of that and know that when I feel like there's $10 of need or $5 of capacity, that one of two things is probably true. God actually wants to figure out, wants me to live within the $5 and maybe the constraint is actually an invitation to revelation. Or second, whichever God does loves and fishes, but but he only does it if I yield it to him. So I've found having key, key Sabbath time, having accountability, having a plan. Again, my family, the strategic plan for family is one of the most humbling things. It's exciting, exhilarating, but it also just elevates your awareness of how much you miss. And it just gives you a chance to constantly course correct and grace. But confident that we achieve more work-life balance in a godly sense by having a plan and accountability than we would if we weren't even trying. I love the focus on the biblical Sabbath because I think it's easy to just ignore it, especially in our remote virtual lives. It's easy to work all the time. And somebody reminded me once that God starts the Bible in Genesis with one of the primary lessons in Genesis is the creation story for sure, but it's also teaching the Israelites to rest because we rest for work, not from work. God has work for us to do. And I'm always reminded, too, that God gave Adam work to do in the garden before the fall. Work was made to be good. And so I think that part of our job as Christians is to redeem work. Like, it's to help make it whole again, to make it a picture of what maybe it looked like before the fall. And it's so easy to, to make it a drudgery that it shouldn't be, that I don't believe God intended it to be in the creation originally. Amen. Last two things, quick questions. One, where can people find out more about you and C12? Mm-hmm. And number two, any parting advice to build a business that lasts without sacrificing family? Yeah. So you go to joinc12.com to learn about us and see what's available in your area and get a bunch of free downloads of resources. Jay mentioned we're throwing a party in the May. Every two years we get a global gathering together. It is open to guests. So it's it's called Current 23. You can go to c12current23.com and if you want to come meet folks there like Jay, come join us. My parting advice would be, I think life is, and I don't like the game golf, but life is a lot like golf in this regard. And that is if your aim is off, you don't make up for it by effort. So if I got a slice and I just make up for it by hitting the ball harder, you actually end up more and more off course. And so I don't think any leader should be alone. So whether you're in C12 or you do something else, get, get right community that's got a shared North Star of what truth is and what success is. Begin asking the question, like, God, what do you think about this business? What does success in your eyes look like? And if you don't know, like I cried out to God, I don't know. He's like, great. Start asking me and start looking for it. And I found mentors and books. And man, our era right now, Jay, you and I have got more access to podcasts and books and conferences than anybody in a generation before ever imagined. So don't just hit your head against a wall. Don't let it be a question of, I hope I don't miss, fail the test. There is a performance review with God, but it's an open book test. And let's go find good models, find good resources. And please, don't let your business be something that you do as a necessary evil to fund ministry, but begin to figure out how business as a ministry draws you into a relationship with the Father differently. Mike, that's a good word. 
people say it's lonely at the top, and I always say it doesn't have to be. Don't lead alone. Go check out C12. Join C12.com. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Likewise, Jay. Thanks.